Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from Tebby, the evidence-based investor, brought to you by Regis Media, connecting advisors with clients. I'm Robin Powell. This week's show is all about one man's journey from one side of the active-passive investing divide to the other. On the face of it, Preston McSwain and I have a great deal in common. We were born a few weeks apart and we're both from Birmingham, though in his case the Alabama version. Preston runs a firm called Fiduciary Wealth Partners in Boston, Massachusetts, which serves high net worth individuals and uses mainly low-cost index funds. He's also a supporter of the Transparency Task Force, a UK-based organisation of which I'm an ambassador that's campaigning for fairer, more transparent fees and charges in asset management. But Preston has an interesting background. He was, for many years, a strong believer in active fund management. Indeed, he was working as a broker for Lehman Brothers at the time of its collapse in September 2008. I've been to visit Preston McSwain, and this is his story. Preston, we've communicated so much on social media. I feel I know you quite well, but this is actually the first time that we've got to meet. Yes, wonderful. Tell me about your firm and how it started, because you started in the investing industry doing something really very different to what you're doing today, didn't you? Yes, and maybe even a little bit of no. Um, if anything, I've come full circle. So I started my career at State Street Asset Management. It's now called SSGA, home of spiders and SPY, etc. Helping to put together presentations, doing analysis of how to appropriately package and uh, present index funds to various investors, primarily institutional investors. I then, however, spent Yes, the better part of, oh, 20, 25 years of my career across the asset management industry, the trust industry, and large investment banks. Developing, marketing, selling, most any active, complex, structured product strategy you could imagine. Shame on you, Preston, shame on you. So you you were actually marketing and selling actively managed funds. How, How did that go? It went quite well, especially for the firms that I worked for. And there certainly were, and I'm sure are time periods, when some of those strategies, um, well, some of those strategies have performed well and will perform well. However, you know, interesting thing happens when you break away from the large firms and break away from the constant, quite frankly, internal marketing that's going on, right? Break away from the the drink and the Kool-Aid right? You tend to step back and consider different points of view. And, you know, that's what I did when I started the firm. So when did you start to realize that the funds that you were marketing and selling possibly weren't all that that they were cracked up to be? Oh, I think, so I think a lot of people in the industry are, uh, look at all sorts of reams of data, right? And I think at least a lot of folks that are good students of the market realize that asset allocation tends to add the majority value in client portfolios, not necessarily products or the sexy new new thing. So when starting my own firm, if anything, I kind of went, again, back to the future, back to getting anchored on independent analysis versus analysis that was being presented to me by internal folks. 
I didn't have as many potential conflicts as it relates to knowing that if I sold this very interesting, attractive strategy, I was going to be paid a lot. So tell me what your firm is all about and what are its core values, if you like. I think it's best encapsulated in a, um, an experience I had with a wonderful client, a family who was working with me through various asset management firms, large investment banks, and then became one of my, my first clients when we started the firm. And I went down to meet with this family at their home. And sitting on the couch, the husband and wife turned to me and said, hey, Preston, we've been working with you for a long time. And we hired you to manage our money and to give us portfolio advice. And we've been very pleased with that. You've done a wonderful job. You know what we've come to realize we really pay you for, however? And they said, transparency, simplicity, and peace of mind. And just then, really a light bulb came off. First of all, I joked with them and I said, hey, if you don't mind, we're going to use that. But it really did anchor me even more on what, Robin, what you talk about a lot of times, what does the evidence suggest really adds value? Now, about evidence-based investing, this is a phrase that we're hearing a lot more regularly. Um, and, and possibly we're hearing the phrase passive investing possibly less regularly, although clearly passive investing has, has been hugely popular here in, in the US, particularly in, in sort of recent years and months. What's your own view of those two different phrases? First of all, as I joked with you earlier when we met Robin, you used the, you used the word passive to describe index investing, and I, and I told you that you owed me $5. Um, and, I'm, and I'm joking about that to some extent, but we actually do have a jar around here that anytime you use the word passive, you gotta throw five bucks at it. So what don't you like well, about I, it? It's a phenomenally emotional word, right? And I think it gives the connotation of, quite frankly, what the definition of passive is. And if you look in the, the Oxford Underbridge or the Webster's, et cetera, it says inert. It says docile, right? It has, it has uh, various synonyms such as acquiescent. Who wants to invest in something that's inert? That's docile. Exactly. It's a very bad marketing phrase, isn't it? Why, why do you prefer evidence-based so investing? I, I think it's a horrible marketing phrase, but much, much more importantly, it's a horrible descriptor, right? So we can have all sorts of fun with marketing, and I've spent a lot of time studying marketing, et cetera. But let's talk about you know what should matter, not marketing, but actually outcomes and what an institution an individual, a professional actually does. And index investing is, in my experience, actually extremely hard. In fact, I would argue the easy thing to do, right? Maybe the passive thing to do, maybe certainly the acquiescent thing to do is to give in to what are wonderful emotional presentations that are given by a lot of the investment management industry. You're listening to Preston McSwain talking to me, Robin Powell, on the Tebby podcast. More from Preston in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hi, it's Will. I'm a producer from Regis Media. We know running a financial advisory firm is hard work. But we also know the value of high quality, regular content and marketing. And that's where we come in. 
We support firms by helping them attract and retain clients through a mixture of video content, social marketing, and written articles. To find out more, visit our website, regismedia.com. So you prefer the phrase evidence-based investing, but you've got another phrase, haven't you, of your own that you like <laughs> so even more? I've had a little fun with this, and I'm not sure where we'll go with it. But the other day, I was thinking about index investing, and I was actually doing a comparison on behalf of a family that I was going to present to. And of course, they were asking me how index investment strategies performed relative to other investment management choices that they have, right? When we're making any decisions in life, there's opportunity cost, right? If we go down this path, right, what's the potential cost? So I think relative actually is a very appropriate way to think about index investing. So I had a little fun with it. And came up with this term, relative alpha, right? Again, not sure where we're going to go with this, but let's think about that a little bit, right? How about if you went to a cocktail party and you said, hey, I've identified this wonderful strategy. It's completely liquid. It's extraordinarily tax efficient. And of course, you have to lean in a little bit when you're saying these things. Right? <laughs> it, it, it outperforms most any other strategy in its asset class and peer group over most any time period, up markets, down markets, sideways markets that I've been able to identify over decades. My gosh, I just think this thing's wonderful. I bet you get a lot of people to lean in and I bet you get a lot of people actually to potentially pay a lot of money for that. I'm sure you're right and, and very effective way of getting attention at a cocktail party even more effective by sort of pitching the idea to the financial media, for example. I just think that words matter in all aspects of life, right? In policy and politics and professions. And we should be careful as it relates to the words they use, the connotations they give, and the emotional responses that they evoke. And I would suggest that passive as it relates to describing investment strategy that many academics, professionals, research studies have shown adds a lot of value relative to most any other choice you can make should not be called inert, should not be thought of as docile. Sure. Now we're up here in uh, Boston, northeast of the United States. I can see the is it Fenway Park, the Red Sox Fenway Stadium, out, out of the window here? But you're actually from, from Alabama, aren't you? And I, I noticed in one of your recent posts, you actually quoted a, 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 an Alabama folk song. What was all that about? Well, so it was actually a Zach Brown song, to be, to be uh, res respectful of Zach. But the song is, uh, is uh, Chicken Pride. And it you know, talks about what's really important in life, right? And he goes on and has some fun about, you know, a cold beer on a Friday night, right? The love of family and people that are close to you, right? Our relationships to our children, as I mentioned this morning, I was just at a, at a school play and quite frankly got, you know, quite emotional as it relates to something that, that my, my little guy was up there talking about, right? What's really important? And I would argue that as it relates to our profession, what really should be important is translating ideas into simple terms so that everybody can understand. In giving complete transparency 
as to what folks are really paying for. It's okay to pay a lot for something. Right? I'm wearing a decent shirt and have on a, a nice watch, and you know, those things make me feel good, right? Nothing wrong with that, right? Different, stroke, different strokes for different folks, but I do think that investors should be given more information as it relates to the good, the bad, and the ugly, so to speak, right? As it relates to the pros and cons of both sides of an opportunity they are presented before they invest. My view is that if that happened, they would have greater peace of mind, right? They would exhale more when having that cold beer on a Friday night, right? And hence, stick to their investment strategy. Stick to that fund, whether it be, quite frankly, an active fund or passive fund, through good or bad times. Why? Because the evidence consistently shows that strategies don't blow up, people do, right? That's very well put. I want to finish on a little discussion around transparency, if I may. You're a great believer in transparency, and indeed you are now a supporter of the UK-based Transparency Task Force, for which I'm an official ambassador. Why is transparency so important for you? Why shouldn't it be important to everyone, would be the way maybe I would answer that. Right? Why should anyone be resisting a freer sharing of information? Why should anyone be resisting? Let's not use a negative word, right? Why shouldn't anyone be in favor of promoting a complete free sharing of information? Do you think it will happen? I mean, we had the fiduciary rule here towards the, the back end of the Obama administration. There's now a question mark as to whether that, you know, is going to stand in, in the future. Are you confident that we're heading to a more transparent future as far as the fund industry is concerned? Um, I think it's up to us. And what I mean by that is that we could have a lot of fun over a cold beer debating this regulation and that regulation. And I do think that certain regulation is very appropriate. I've seen all sorts of things happen in the industry. But you know something, at the end of the day, there's a basic thing called supply and demand. And so I actually really value these conversations. I value what you're doing. I value what the Transparency Task Force is doing. Would love for us to do more of it here in the States. Kudos to Kudos to you all in the UK. If we start the investing public meeting, the professionals in the investment in industry demanding more transparency, well, guess what? Regardless of regulation, it's going to come. Exactly. We have to ask for it. There's one final question. As a task force, we are keen to encourage similar like-minded people from around the world to, like yourself, to get involved in this, in this campaign for transparency. Because after all, it is a global industry that we are up against. Wouldn't it be great to have a Transparency Task Force Symposium in the United States, perhaps, perhaps even in Boston? I'll tell you what, there was a, uh, there was a great movie here uh, in the States, I'm sure it was talked about over in the UK called The Field of Dreams, right? Yeah. If you build it, they will come. I'll tell you what, we'll sponsor it, we'll help get our sponsors if you come. Deal? That's a deal, Preston. Thank you. It's lovely talking to you. Yes, wonderful. Thank you very much. And let's get out there and, uh, and create more demand for this, because again, then the industry will come. And that's it for this week. Thanks to Preston McSwain, to all our listeners, and our sponsor, Regis Media. Until next time, from me, Robin Powell, goodbye.